You're listening to Lanyap, a weekly digest of news, personal finance, brotherly banter, and whatever else is on our minds. From Stokes Family Office. Hi, this is Greg Stokes with Lanyap Podcast. Today we interviewed Vito Cinque. Vito is the owner of the Il San Pietro di Positano, one of the finest hotels in Italy and Europe and potentially the world. It's situated on a cliff overlooking the Tyrian Sea in Positano, Italy, one of the most scenic settings out there. My wife and I had the pleasure of staying there, and it was a fascinating experience such that I reached out to Vito, and he was kind enough to spend time with Doug and I talking about what makes the Il San Pietro one of the nicest hotels in Italy and the world. Please enjoy. Often included in the world's best lists and frequented by such stars as George Clooney and Julia Roberts, the legendary and oh-so-glam Il San Pietro lives up to its reputation. But the luxuriousness and spectacular setting belies what it is. At the heart, a family operation, so the five-star service comes with genuine warmth. Vito, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you so much. Vito is joining us from Positano, Italy one of the most beautiful places that I've ever been. My wife and I, this is Greg talking, my wife and I have celebrated our 10th anniversary in September and October of 2021 at the Il San Pietro. Vito is one of the owners of the Pietro. And so Vito, please give us a little bit of background about your family and the hotel. Talk to us about what makes it the special place that it is. And again, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you to you. So basically it's... um my uncle Carlino is the founder. He lost his mother when he was only nine by the Spanish flu. And he had an older sister who used to come here where the St. Pietro's now has been built. And they were working in the fields. You know, Positano now lives uh, with tourism, but before they were all living by agriculture. So Giocarino grew up. He went to the war. When he came back from the war, as all his brothers and sisters, he wanted to move back to, he wanted to, move back to the States. And the, the father, in order not to lose this very nice, uh, handsome uh, last son that he had in, in the village, he gave him a big house that he, he had in the village, which now is the Il Miramare. And Giocarlino had the relation at the time with the countess from Naples, as my, like some nobles from Naples. She had a lot of furniture and no money. So they started refurbishing this place, Il Miramare. They opened the second hotel on the coast. In 1932, during the Second World War, the Miramare, originally the hotel has got 14 rooms, but my uncle rented all the houses around because the village was almost empty. And the hotel ended up having 51 rooms. And so it was the biggest and nicest hotel in Positano. And has been like that for many years. After the war, everybody wanted to have the, the property back because most of the property were owned by immigrants who wanted to come back. So he went to the husband of the sister and tell him, why don't you buy me part of the property? Because I just want to build my house for myself. He, didn't have, he was living in the hotel. He never got married. So but the story was he already had in his mind to build the San Pietro. And he started the construction in 1962. And the hotel finally opened in 1970. And the time the hotel only had 34 rooms. Two months later, fantastic article went on the Los Angeles Times. San Pietro was on the first page. One of, one of the most iconic hotels in Italy. And the hotel pretty much was like now, as you remember, this would lobby the terrace and the elevator, the beach chair and the tennis court. So then Zio Carlino 
unfortunately. Uh, so it's, it's a story of family. And me and, me, me and my brother Carlo, we are the third generation. And my family had no money. So whatever was made, uh, so we just started having so many debts. Uh, we have been in the right numbers until uh, 26 years ago. Who were the original travelers to the hotel? The original travelers, so you, you can believe it or not, but there was more tourism in the winter than in the summer. All people living in northern Italy. Then also after the Russian Revolution, so many Russians came here between um, the coast and Sorrento. That's why in front of us there is the Isola Ligalli, who used to own first by Leonid Massin, which was one of the second most important choreographer, Russian choreographer, then uh, Rodolf Nuroyev. And so many of them, in order to escape from the Russian Revolution, they came on the coast. That's why also there are so many beautiful villas in Sorrento. And in Positano, there was also another Russian, very important, was, his name was Mikhail Semenov. He was the director of Pravda. They also had to escape. So Positano was, has always been uh, in, the, in the mind of the, uh, the, 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 the visitors, like a safe place to be, also during the war, or during the First World War and the Second World War, was the place to be because they blew up both roads. You know, we only have two roads. They blew up one in south, one north. And all the American, Canadian, and British officers used to stay here. They rent, they rented the Miramare, and it was the place to stay. So I think, and then also, also where we Ravello, so many doctors from Northern Italy, from Northern Europe also were suggesting people who had problems in breathing to come on the coast in order to enjoy the fresh air coming down from the mountain and the air from the sea. That makes sense. So you mentioned that the elevator, and I don't want to skip over that fact, but the elevator goes through the cliff. The hotel itself is situated on a very high ledge on a cliff. It's a pretty amazing architectural feat that it was even built in the first place. And then, so the, the hotel's overlooking the Tyrian Sea from north and south and also to the west. And the elevator goes from the top of the cliff where the lobby is and the entrance is down to the deck on the and the beach on the on the water. What's the elevation change and how, how long did it take for that elevator to get built? I can measure in meters. It's 92 meters, which is something like 35 floors. 35, right. So a 35 floor elevator through. All digged into the rock, all made by hand. And it's all, it's granite, basically. Is that what it is? Yeah, it's dolomite granite. Right. So it's incredibly hard stone, essentially, right? It is. So it was done by hand? was done by hand, yeah. Two years. Two years, 22 people. Two years. Wow. Two years work, yeah. 22 people. The funny thing that my uncle Carlino had six brothers, there were six brothers and sisters in total. So he had a lot of family members in, in the village. And when he started the construction of San Pietro, and he, he was not telling anyone exactly what had, his vision, what his vision was, because he was jealous of it. They also tried to impeach him. So they, they, they thought he was crazy. And they want to bring him to court because he was wasting all the family, the little money they had, you know, because at the time it was not thinkable to do something outside the village. Your life was in the village. It was already not enough for everybody. Now, thank God, we are away from the village. What was the impetus for actually developing the hotel? I mean, it was a major leap of faith on his part, especially coming from nothing. You know, if it failed, it was a failure for the entire family. What was the decision to actually move forward with this project? My uncle Carlino was very lucky because he had a sister, Carmela, which was my grandmother, and her husband, Lito. That's why I carry the same name, my grandfather. They were very hard workers. And my uncle, my uncle, my grandfather, Vito, was in charge of the kitchen, what now we call a food and beverage department. 
and my grandmother was running the place. And Jacqueline was one doing, you know, all public relations. Think that in 1943, had two uh, fantastic riverboats going around with girls and bringing everybody around. So it was the, it was like the George Clooney of, of the Lake Como and going around. He had a vision. He was kind of man. He was fluent in three languages. He was learning from the people he was meeting. So he learned a lot from all the people that he met, and he was very curious. He was always, I remember him, always going to bed with a book about uh, architecture, uh, landscape, uh, gardening, uh, Roman history, whatever. So he was born like that. I mean, this sort of gift, how do you have or you don't have? Even the hotel has, has been built at the time, not having a floor plan, not having a, a project. And people here, as you have seen, because have a very good sense of construction. So that's something they've learned over the years. And this is what we want clients to understand, that when you come here, it's a unique experience. You cannot put this sort of experience in a box. It's not something that has been planned. It's like, you know, you find the right, the right plant in the right spot and the plant grows perfectly. But it's, it's of course... So many things that you do, not, you achieve not, not working on it. But, you know, it's so many ingredients together to make a fantastic dish. What a great way to describe. Doug and I were talking about this as well, too. With It's the idea of growth without goals. If you just have a, if you wake up and you do, you work hard every day and you keep doing the right thing and you're disciplined over a number of years, the end result is something that is fabulous. And it sounds like exactly how the hotel turned out. And just for everybody's, edification, the hotel was built on a number of different levels because it's essentially built into a cliff. 12 levels. What Vito just said is that that's 35 stories from the top of the hotel to the where the elevator is to the, or maybe even more from the road to the actual beach and to the water. And the 12 levels, I guess, just developed. Tell us more about how that developed over time. That How many rooms does the hotel have now? And how you mentioned it had 35 when it first started. When my uncle opened the study, I had 34 rooms. We ended up having, in 1994, we had 63. Now we have 55 because we have reduced the number of rooms because, you know, the needs of the clients was changing. You know, we don't, now we don't have any more single people traveling. At the time, there was a lot of single people traveling alone. That doesn't exist anymore. And uh, the standards of the room, you know, needed to be changed. So... Since we decided to work for the quality, first thing was to enlarge rooms and make it having a larger accommodations. So now we have 55 rooms. Basically, the hotel is built following the cliff. And so that's why there is not one single room that is without a view. There is not one single room that is without a terrace. So uh, 12 floors, six levels, because one floor, one side of the hotel, we have... <laughs> The numbers of floors don't correspond, so it's not all the floors are not like this, but one side to the other. Right. Five elevators, up to day, 164 people working. 166. Yeah, I think that's a good segue to talk about the hotel's operations. And, and maybe just as it, from an operator's perspective, how do you think about the offering that you're providing to the, the client? I mean, this is a luxury accommodation and general expenses related to operating a five-star hotel. So maybe we talk first about what your average daily rate is at the hotel, which I think is probably a high number, and how you think about hitting an average daily rate that accommodates the the level of class that you want to provide on an expense standpoint 
to the clients that are staying there? I think there is something that is is unique in any business is to have um, to make a business plan. But in this, the business plan most of the time kills your business. First thing that for us is very easy because it is just him and brother. So I don't we don't have to ask anybody. This is a winning point. It's also a big risk because if you make a mistake, there is nobody else telling you listen, you're doing a big mistake. But anyhow, we start with an idea of spending. You know, we always spend so much time in so much money in renovation, at least between two and four million euro every year. But then when we change the project and we think that we can do better than we thought, we can do something more, we do it, we spend it. I mean, we don't do it. We don't constrain our ideas and whatever we want to make, you know, just because of a a business plan. Being in, in a family business, the time for making a decision is very fast. As long as you divide your duties. Me and my brother, we have two different backgrounds. I did uh, high school studying Latin and Greeks. He did uh, high school studying mathematics and uh, you know, math and stuff. Then he graduated in uh, in business school. I did hotel business school. So thank God we have two different backgrounds and we take care of two different parts of the hotel. So I ran the place. I am the front office person and he's the, he's the back office guy. I look at He looks at the numbers that I produce. Right. I mean, thank God on the coast, we have so many hotels like this, Sianusa, Santa Catarina, so many, so family owned. No? And I think that family is a big asset as long as the family works. If the family doesn't work, it's a disaster. But the only way for us to keep it is to keep investing as much as we can. And when you can invest, invest always more than you can. Because let's say in these times, you know, we've seen, we had, I don't know if you have seen our kitchen, was described by the New York Times as the most beautiful and technological kitchen in the world. We have ozone on a roof that is ozone breathing, and we have all induction, and we recycle the energy with the coal, the engine to produce the coal for the, for the refrigerators, which are some of the heat that is generated by the machine into hot water. So it's very sophisticated. Thank God we did it. Thank God we always invest every year since we took over the management of the place, the other which was in 1996. Because now, so many things, even our our bathrooms, I don't know what room you stayed, but I mean, if you notice just the quality of the marbles, it is perfect white, was Michelangelo used it to, to build the PC. This marble that doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't matter how much money you have, you can buy. So you have to keep, otherwise you arrive at the stage that you have to sell it because you, you cannot keep the standards because so many hotels now around best and the richest people in the world but just because they use details uh, like a way for them to be in the world and like to be is uh, like, uh, you know, is the, the edge of the pyramid that justify all the bottom of the pyramid. So they do it more for making the brand of the, the company circulate all over the world. But basically, they don't live out of running the, the hotels. The hotels is an excuse to do some other businesses. They make more money from the real estate side of the operation than the operation side itself. Right. They don't live for the hotel. Not at all. No, they couldn't live. Otherwise, they should live a different life. Right. Exactly. And I think you make a really good point related to a business plan and spending two to four million euros per year. But always, you know, it, it can go beyond that. And we talk about that, too, with related to reinvested in our business and the standards that our clients have for us and what we're doing for them, that if you're not constantly reinvesting and adding talent and adding new services and products and et cetera, then you're leaving yourself also open to being caught up by competition as well. Now you have something that 
that nobody else really has in that you have one of the most amazing views and locations and structures in the world. But there's an expectation of service when somebody comes to San Pietro. And, uh, and I think you can always have the view, but if you don't back it up with the quality and the level of service, then you can be compared to another hotel somewhere else in the world that's subpar. So uh, I think that that's, that's a really good point. What about, just talk about how you're programming the hotel compared to others as a, an emphasis on food and beverage. I know you have, maybe describe your main terrace and the services that are provided out there. You have a, a wonderful restaurant that I had lunch at, but just describe your, the emphasis on F&B compared to the competitive hotels in the area. So F&B uh, has uh, uh, 45% of the employees of the hotel. So we have more than 166, we almost have 70 people that work on the food and beverage department. I think that in, in a hotel like this, you don't want any imposition. So nothing has to be imposed to you. So that's why we try to offer the most, we have a big offer. At least we try to give a big offer. So first of all, I want to start from the morning, from the breakfast. Whatever we offer to our clients in the breakfast, except cheese, except prosciutto or nuts or yogurt, everything is homemade. So we make breads three times a day, all the croissants, all the cakes, everything you eat at the breakfast is homemade and makes a huge difference. It's not the high quality frozen croissant that you take out of the fridge and that you cook in the morning. So everything, so I think the first thing has to be good and has to be healthy. We were the first hotel in Southern Italy to be appointed with one mission star. That's already 22 years ago. And we have the Zas, which is, let's call the gourmet restaurant, but it's kind of gourmet restaurant that you feel like if you like it. And you can also go the next day because you don't feel full or you don't feel like you cannot eat, drink, uh, uh, sleep all night. So, and all the product, Alois, the chef, we have our own uh, family goes to buy personally at five o'clock in the morning fishes, all the fish that we brought to the clients. Then we have the Zas, that is the more informal restaurant down at the beach area. It is open for lunch and for dinner with two different, different menus. You eat whatever you can eat home if you would have a professional chef, a good chef. Then we have uh, Bishik, that is a little three wheelers on the main terrace that are sort of tapas because some, so many times clients go to Cavari, go to Nerano, or have a late lunch in uh, somewhere else, or with us or abroad. And they don't feel like they sit again in a restaurant. And they are on the terrace, they enjoy, they like, they prefer to drink more than eat. So they can accompany the drinks with a nice raw fish, with a ceviche, with a Napolitan pastrami, all this kind of, then of course you have room service. So, you know, clients for 55 rooms, yes, they have four choices. I think this is important. And we are already thinking to give some more added value in the restaurant than at the beach at night. That's what, this is the, is the next project for next year. I thought there's a lot of minor touches that the hotel does that add up to a tremendous overall experience. Like, for example, the hotel, when you check in, they provide you with a beach bag. And my wife, whenever we go to the beach, she always has her Il San Pietro beach bag and her flip-flop, Il San Pietro flip-flops. There's all these fantastic little touches. You don't get return on investment on immediately, but it's something that makes the guests feel completely at home. I think even the minor things like the when you have a cocktail on the terrace, you get the potato chips and almonds. Almonds, yeah, that's from yeah. Chile, yeah. And then the crudité. The crudité there, but they're so, it's the highest quality 
crudité that you can possibly imagine to go along with your cocktail. We, we grow a lot of we grow a lot of vegetables. Do you remember the gardens? Yep, we, we took the stairs down one day. That's one of the gardens, and I have one more in Priano and one more in Positano. So this is one of the gardens here, but we have two more. I mean, my family, they were farmers, so we have this in DNA. We like nature, we like to plant. I would love to hear about the story of, and I'm sure COVID was extremely difficult for just everyone, but specifically in hospitality. How did the hotel manage through COVID and how has it been since late 2021? So the first thing we did, we met brother, we said, how much cash flow we have? How long can we survive? This is the first, this was the first thought. The second thought, how can we keep all the sites together and not lose any of them because we invested so much in the stuff that uh, is, uh, I think it's the biggest asset uh, we had to protect. So we decided to pay all of them despite of the COVID, like that we couldn't open because we opened it in July. So we had a drop in our business of 82%. And despite that, we kept them all. When we reopened, we reopened with full stuff. We paid them all during the COVID time. They got something like 600 euro from the government. We took off the 600 euro, whatever was remaining, we gave it to them. And it was, a, was also a contribution that was given to the staff that you cannot, according to Italia, you, you cannot deduct from taxes. Was not that was not conceived like a cost. So basically, it's like giving money to somebody. It's like you borrow money to, some, to your best friend, they will never give you back the money. We opened, and despite that, we were the tell who produced the most. In the three months, we stayed open because all our clients had such a big trust in us, and they felt safe. Because they knew that whatever we were telling them was was the truth, and they wanted to come. So of course prices were were very low. We didn't have now we have an average uh, room rate of one thousand seven hundred. At the time it was even not even eight hundred, even less. We gave tremendous upgrades because I mean if you come in, in under the these circumstances to my to my hotel, that means you really want to come. I mean something is very important to, to you. And so all our uh, European clients came to visit us also because some of them told me, listen, that's the best place where that's where I want to be. And also because I love you and I want to support you. So we did good. We did quite good. And even though we we ended up the year with zero break even, we managed to, of course, all the costs were for the staff. The second year, we also performed better than anybody else on the coast. Because not only European clients wanted to come back, but also our American clients want to come back because they missed the place. So it was, uh, I mean, it was a big drop in, uh, we had less 82 in the first year. And last year we had less, uh, compared to 2019, we had a loss of 30%. The biggest result we had was not only the fact that people here even working harder for us, they felt that we protect them. So I think spending the money for the staff was the best investment we ever did in, in the last 25 years. Yeah, I mean, it allows you to come back stronger than than before without any sort of hiccups. And I'm sure just like in the United States, labor issues and finding quality staff is just as difficult as it is here. In terms of your 2022 on the books, how are you looking compared to 2019 numbers? 20% plus. Really? That's fantastic. I was looking at the availability for the summer. And in June, July, August, there's a day or two available here and there. But it looks like it's yeah. pretty much completely full. Is that right? It is. Yeah. Yeah. But take also in consideration in the last two years, so many people couldn't travel. Right. And now also the attitude of the clients has totally changed. Now they want to go where they don't want to have a surprise. They want to place in a 
has to be consistent. When they're going to place that, now the price is not an issue as long as you get what you were expecting. You know, it's like you go into a restaurant where you've always been, and you know that there is the uh, there is Joe that is the best waiter, always takes care of you. You go to the place that Joe is not there, maybe there is another stupid waiter or not as good as Joe. You are, and the food that day is not so great that you feel, you know, you feel like you haven't had a good service. You're not happy. There's a couple different areas I want to discuss. When I was there, you mentioned that people in the the range that people are spending, you mentioned 100 or 1,700 euros is your average rate. That does not turn people off that can afford that kind of rate, obviously, because people want that classic experience and you cannot replace that elsewhere. When I was there, it was my wife and I's first experience there, but it won't be our last because I think it's unbeatable in terms of the experience. But we met people and we had dinner with a, a couple that had been to the hotel their 17th time going to the hotel. And they said that they had traveled around Italy and around Europe and to other resorts that were that branded themselves in a similar fashion where they had beautiful views, but there was really no comparison to the Il San Pietro. Another story from the from my time there too was that when I we were waiting for the shuttle to town, we met, we got speaking to the valet and all the employees there are very kind and welcoming. And while we were speaking with the valet, he told us, we, we got to talking to him and he said that we asked him how long he had been working for the hotel. He said that he had been working there for like 45 years. Michele, the son is working, he's still working for us. Oh, his son's working too? He retired last year. Oh, he retired last year. And he looked like he was in his like 50s or 60s or something. 64. 60, 64. So he started working there as a boy, basically, as an elevator attendant, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, correct. What an amazing story that is. And that says so much to me and I think to everyone about how if you can keep an employee there happy for a lifetime, basically, or a career, you're doing something right. And if you can keep people coming back for the 17th time. And I'm sure that there's many other stories or guests that you have that are like that. And especially at that price point that people are willing to sacrifice their other spending to be able to experience that once. And there's no replacing the experience that you can get at the El San Pietro. Tell me how that makes you feel and what you do to ensure that those things occur. Employees stay around and happy and guests come back. I can do my part, but you only win with a winning team. So the biggest uh, thing is to build the team. To build the thing, there is, there is not a recipe. There is not a secret. There is not something special. It's just every day, every single minute work you do. You not only have to do it to produce business, but you, have, you, have, or you also have to produce to make everybody happy. I always say we can give happiness to clients if we, are, if we are happy to work here and we are happy to come here to work every single day. And just listen to everybody and try to, you know, uh, to find the correct balance between the right, the different things. There is not only Michele, almost more than half of the staff has been working with us since more than 20 years. Like this year, since there is big inflation, you know, too, in the States. So we thought about that. In Italian laws, the labor cost in Italy is very, very high because the, the taxes are almost equal to the salary. So as if you give somebody 100 euros to work for you, it costs you 300 euros. So we we gave them a card for where we can yeah, there are different things set up. Um, we hired the salaries, fifteen percent, twelve of them, and plus we gave some bonuses to everybody. We get under fifty euro bonus. They, they can get you know, the cards so they can, you can charge the cards. They can go and spend in supermarkets for buying food or whatever they want. For the people working for more, for more than three years, we give this bonus plus we give gasoline bonus another fifty euro. And for who works with us for ten years, gets the food uh, card, uh, gasoline bonus, plus 
50 euro Amazon to spend on Amazon. Uh, so we speak in this industry so much about family. Uh, every, every hotel is, is a family. Mother is family and family. I think one thing that's important here is the, you know, there's no real flag associated with the hotel. I mean, it's the Hotel Il, Il San Pietro. We, we are part of Relais Chateau, but it's, it's an association, but it's like a club. It's got nothing to do with the management of rules or regulations like leading or those others. And by the way, I'm vice president of Worldwide of Relais and Chateau. But we have to keep informed about what's going in in this business. So like uh, most of my managers, I send them to the Cornell University for training. Whoever, even the sommelier, told me, I want to take class of photography. I said, yes, photography that has nothing to do with your work. So if you want to do it, we, I pay 50% of the course and you pay the rest, you know. But if it's something that is related to the business we run, or slightly remain, I, I pay whatever need I have in terms of being familiar because that's what is important. When you come in the place and you engage with them, you have to be able to have a, a regular conversation. Not that you speak to an ignorant person that doesn't know anything about, nothing about anything. So, you know, you can speak about pictures and he knows something. You speak about paintings, he knows. You speak about that. So the more the staff knows, the more they are knowledgeable, the more they've been traveling. Also in our sales calls, Gossino, Pico, our marketing manager, I always have to bring some of the, somebody from the staff with him. To get an experience of what's going on elsewhere, in, in the world and, and what other operators are doing. Tell me about the coast and the towns that are along the coast. So somebody comes and stays at your hotel. What is the experience of the Amalfi Coast and, and what are they, from a recommendation perspective, where should they be visiting when they're on an excursion outside the hotel? I mean, in this area, this is the richest area to visit in, in Italy because you just think we are close to Naples and whatever everybody says, Naples is a, the city with the best vibe now ever. So many restaurants are opening. They have the most beautiful subway. Subway has been, every single station has been designed by the most famous modern artists like Yanish Kapoor, Jeff Koons, Istoletto, Kentridge. So the subway neighbors is fantastic. And the city, they are closing the old part more and more to make it all pedestrian. And thank God in the next two, three years, there will be five, openings of very nice five-star hotels, so Naples. Then you have all the islands. You have Ischia, you have Capri. Then you have Pompeii, Pestum, Herculaneum. Naples in itself has got almost, has, has got uh, half of the other is in, in, in Naples, in Rome, and in Florence together. Because if you think that there was the capital after Paris, it's huge, and nobody knows. I mean, uh, there is a fantastic art background. Then the coast, you have Positano, uh, Praiano, Amalfi, Ravello, you got everything. You, <laughs> you want to visit. The problem is that, that connection, transportation does be a bit difficult, also because of the location of the place in itself. And it takes time. You have the Vesuvius. So, and on the back of the coast, on the other side, you have the uh, huge production of food. So, most of the food, all the tomato cans and uh, everywhere, the production of pasta. Even from the point of view of the production of food and goods, it's huge. It's very rich. Mostly, then don't forget, you know, we have the best preserved Greek temples after Athens in Pestum. Right. And the museum of the, the, the diver, the famous diver, the one who, who dies from life to death. So there is really everything. You have a huge choice. And, and compared to northern Italy, the southern Italian cuisine, what are you 
I remember seeing a lot of lemon trees when I was down there, but what is the cuisine of choice? The biggest difference, just to make it simple, is that we use olive oil, they use butter. This is just the first thing. We have the dry pasta, like spaghetti, and they use fresh pasta that's with eggs. Of course, they have a different climate. It's much colder. They have to eat in a different way. We are so close to Africa, so if you go to Sicily, you know, we have uh, this influence of uh, all the Arabs, our Arabic cuisine. If you think that the Madonna in Positano is black, you had the Saracens. If you just see the domes of the home, of the houses, it's very Arabic. Mm-hmm. So we have totally, completely different culture. They're closer to France. You know, if we have to saute some vegetables, we saute with olive oil and garlic. They use butter. So totally different. Right. I don't think that one is better than the other. But I think we are much lighter than them because we have more produce. All the vegetables, you know, we have a huge variety of uh, vegetables that almost nobody else in the world. I personally thought that the food in southern Italy was amazing. Food in all of Italy is amazing. It's not saying one is worse than the other or whatever, but I thought the food in southern Italy was my favorite personally. One thing I didn't like was the bread in Florence. The bread in Florence is made without salt. Bread in Florence is with no salt, but there is an historical reason for it. The salt, as you know, was very expensive at the time they were inside, far from the sea. The, only the kings and the very wealthy people used to have salt, and they needed salt to preserve the food. Because at the time when there were no refrigerators, uh, you even the fish or whatever, and in order to fight the gorbut, when you have, we didn't have vitamin, enough proteins, they needed salt, and they preferred to use salt in a different way, than wasting salt on the bread. That's why there is this. And also because they have a lot of this uh, salami, cinta senesa, and prosciutto, and all this. Uh, I mean, they eat pig. Whatever they eat, so everything is about pig. And in order for them to taste bad, the flavor of the old charcuterie, all the salami and stuff, they prefer to have bread with no salt so that you can taste the salami and the prosciutto for them in a better way. But I agree with you, bread over there. I don't like it too. What kind of wines do you like to drink, Fido? What kind of Italian wines? I need them. I like them all. I like, like the good all. stuff. Whatever. But I have a rule: doesn't less to exceed more than forty euro. Okay. Because I've drunk them all. I've eaten. I did enough. When I do, when I have friends home, they always more than ten. My friends are all big drinkers. Like like last night, we had almost twenty-two bottles of something. We are only eight. So, you know, <laughs> it's also a economic reason. <laughs> that's, that's true. And there are some great wines, you know, uh, some great wines, if you know, some small producers, of course, is the, when you have small producers that they would, they work in a, with no big, uh, they cannot afford, you know, all these tiny things, the, the, those engineers for the wines and stuff. The vintage is very, you know, one year the wine can be fantastic and the second year is a little better and not, not as good and third year really awful. So you have to know when, when when that particular producer, small producer, has made a fantastic wine. But this is, I like to play this game. Are you involved in the wine program at the hotel? I'm involved in everything, but I, I make them decide. We have two tremendous sommeliers, Salvatore and Vincenza, and uh, the assistant. I trust that their taste. We do it together sometimes, but I let them do whatever they want because they have to, uh, I wouldn't say convince, they have to guide the clients. I mean, there is a rule when the clients ask, what should I drink? They always tell him, listen, sir, my choice of one for you will never exceed 40 euro bottom, 50 euro bottom. Then if you want to drink more expensive, you just tell me. But if you, like, if you want me to guide you, that's how it has to be. And then the client trusts you and is more open towards your suggestions and maybe is willing to, do, to, to have it a different experience. 
So, but I like the wines that are drinkable because I think wine is it's it's something you eat and you have to feel like even uh, drinking the second glass and the third glass. You know, I don't like the wines the same in the glass because they they maybe fantastic, but they too heavy. Or the day after you have an angover, it's a food. Wine is a food. You have to be healthy too. You know, there are so many ways right. of making wine. So I like I like the organic wines. I like the wines that are made in the fields. And not in the cave. Interesting. Understood. One of the things I, I recall when I, when I was in Italy in the fall was the amount of vineyards. There are, vineyards are everywhere. And, and Italy, I looked it up subsequently. Italy is the largest wine producer in the world. Produces twice as much wine as the United States. And the United States, obviously, is a much bigger country by land. So it is a, really an art there. And I personally like to try the wines from the region. Uh, it's Campania. Mm. Is that how to pronounce yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, correct. Correct. Yeah. I, thought the, I remember having a white wine that was from Campania that was delicious, and we had it with our meal. Some of the white wines in Campania are fantastic, are tremendous, but there is only one thing that we drink them too soon. We should let them age a bit, you know, and that become like a good Montrachet. The problem is that we always, we never, we always finish it or everything. We don't have, we don't give time to the white to age. I think that's part of my problem as well is there's a, there's a patience aspect with wine. And I have this problem with Bordeaux where I, a bottle of Bordeaux and I can't let it sit for a decade or two. I have to open it. So. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't know how how much your wife drinks, but my wife enjoys to drink. She's a very sporty person, but she likes to drink. So thank (laughs) God I'm in good company. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We have a three-year-old daughter for Mother's Day. She had a Mother's Day card for her mom and teachers asked the kids questions. What what age is your mom? And they, she didn't know the answer. And then she said, what's mom's favorite drink? And my three-year-old said wine. So <laughs> we're in the same company. Well, Vito, this has been a, an absolute pleasure. And I want to thank you for coming on. And we'd love to come visit and have our clients come visit Postatana. I know the busy season is, is coming up. And so I'm sure you'll be busy for the next several months. And hopefully the weather is as beautiful as the time I was in Positano this summer. But thank you for taking the time with us. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lanyap. This podcast is brought to you by Stokes Family Office and produced by Reverb. If you liked this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Stokes Family Office and Lanyap, visit us at stokesfamilyoffice.com. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.